Hello, and welcome to Tell Me About Your D&D Character, a podcast where different people from many walks of life get a chance to talk about their characters from different role-playing games. I'm your host, Jeremy. Uh, this is the sixth episode, and I'm talking to a very good friend, Tori Dudeski, who plays in the home game with me and Ben Byrne, who was on um, a couple of weeks ago, and Mike Devani, who was on last week. She's also our, an academic and a resident player on the other podcast I'm on of Dyson DMs, um, who she always has amazing insight and questions uh, on that podcast. And it was a real pleasure to talk to her about her characters today. She's an amazingly kind and selfless person. Um, I'm lucky to count her as one of my friends. And she's got some really interesting things to say about inspirations and what elements of yourself you can put into characters in D&D and Vampire and any role-playing game you so desire, and how that can differ from ongoing campaigns and one-shots. So uh, let's have a listen. How does it feel that three years ago you'd never played D&D and now you're on two different D&D podcasts. Jesus, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I think it kind of makes me a massive nerd, doesn't it? <laughs> um, We're I probably, all massive nerds about something. I feel, I feel like it's kind of like you, you get an itch for something and it either manifests to ridiculous proportions, like um, off air, Ben and I were just talking about um, getting, um, uh, oh gosh, the name escapes me. You'll have to edit. Um, war... Warhammer Underworlds. Yeah, well, Underworlds. Yeah, I was gonna say I was like, it's it's Warhammer, but I'm like, which which Warhammer? Because it's like specific to types. Oh, there's so and many. Oh I mean, yeah, and we we're just talking about miniatures and stuff, and I'm like, what? Three years ago, wouldn't even. Oh well, I would have. I I always found D and D interesting. That's the thing. Like I've always found it like as as soon as it's on, you know, represented somewhere on a movie or something like that, I'll be like, I want to be that nerd. I want yeah. I want to do what they're doing. I want to roll dice. I want to create characters and do thematic things. You know, that's that's my vibe. So where did you first encounter? Like you're talking about seeing it on TV and movies. Do you remember a specific like? pop culture thing where you saw D&D maybe just going back to the first time not even the first time just one that you've gone that's the one that's what I always expected it to be like oh that's a good question actually I feel like I'm wondering if I saw it on TV or is it just like ingrained in popular culture because it kind of is now yeah I think there was um potentially an episode of D&D on the Big Bang Theory that was have you seen it I have I've seen bits of that episode yeah. I refuse to watch The Big Bang Theory for reasons. Okay. Look, it was, it, the way that they, I mean, they had a pretty funny way of doing D&D, like with impressions of different actors, which was pretty funny. Um, yeah, it'll be shows like that, like kind of sitcoms more than anything. I think it wasn't until um, um, Stranger Things came out that I like but I'm pretty sure that when Stranger Things came out we were already starting off but it just kind of exacerbated my my knowledge and my curiosity for it and I guess this you get this idea of all your mates huddled up and screaming over a demigorgon it's it's fantastic like who doesn't who doesn't want to do that yeah just being able to get to to buy into that shared imagination 
Yeah. Whereas, I mean, for you, especially, you kind of have grown up on it in every respect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what, like, like you had the, you were probably one of the ones that we were talking about on Dyson DMs, you know, that had the 4.0 version or whatever it was. Okay. Or... Look, just because I can <laughs> see four, 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 um, I can literally see four books from fourth edition from where I'm sitting right now. Does not mean can I was you died. actually? I can actually, yes. And there's found... wait, four, four volume versions. Oh I my can goodness. see um, two Eberron books and two Dungeon Master's Guides. You say that like it's a bad thing. I no, it was fantastic. I found them at an op shop in Frankston and they were like 10 bucks for all four. I could have oh, got really? the entire yeah. I could have got the entire collection for 150 bucks. You are it a was... wizard in obtaining books, like especially on the cheap. Actually, out of curiosity, what was your first um, like encounter with D and D? My first encounter with D and D. It's one of those hazy things where yeah. I can't really tell whether I remember it or whether yeah. it actually happened. Totally. But I do remember sitting down with my old older brothers. I must have been about four or five. And not really understanding it, and then giving me a sheet, and I just basically wanted to play Bilbo Baggins. Oh, and it's like Bilbo. <laughs> oh, this is even going back further. My parents, well, my both my parents were doctors. Yeah. So, and I'm a bit younger than my other brothers, so my parents would be often on call. So rather than read stories every night because they couldn't guarantee that they'd be home, Mum read a lot of books onto tape. Right. So she'd be able to oh, play the tape, and it's still. Oh. Yeah. And she could do this for all three of us kids, and. Oh. One of the first ones she read on the tape was The Hobbit. Oh. So gee. I've just had that kicking around in my subconscious for over 30 years. Wow. So do you have all these, like, recordings of your mother, like, having all these um, books recorded for you? you oh, know? not anymore. I mean, cassette oh, tapes have not lasted. I know. But that would have been beautiful even just to keep and, like, I don't know, somehow transpose onto laptops and whatnot, which I think yeah. you can do to some regard. Yeah, probably. It'd be nice. Yeah. I mean, look, so long as you didn't pick Frodo, we're in good, we're in good shape. So. <laughs> no, no, I don't think I got into Lord of the Rings until I was much older. Really? It was, re- it was really you think just the Hobbit, Hobbit would have underscored some of your, you know. Well, this is what I find about The Hobbit. The Hobbit is perfect for a kid's story. Yeah. That up until about nine or ten, The Hobbit is this really nice little fable fairy tale. That it's got these hints of other things. And I can't remember where it's... It might even just be in the introduction of Lord of the Rings that The Hobbit is the story that the kids are told and everyone, mm-hmm. all the parents are just kind of sitting around and having some wine. And then the kids go to bed and then you hear about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and the parents talk about the serious things that are going on in the world. It's when, you know, little Jimmy is, you know, cuddled up late at night in in his bed. And then we can really talk about the, the you know, yeah. intense yeah, but- shit. <laughs> Because Lord of the Rings is the intense shit and it's about yeah. the end of the world and the adults having to realise I may have to step up step up and do something about this. So it's kind Can of I get this, that in the Hobbit? You do, but it's about the heroes winning in the end, that the heroes are going out and they're learning Very something. Yeah. But Bilbo's the call to adventure and everything. Yeah. 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 I like that idea of it, just that it's this this fable that sits down on cold winter's evenings. Yeah, and the Hobbit is the one that you tell the kids, and then you go into something more serious and a little bit darker. So you have to grow into Lord of the Rings as as a means of you know, um, you you grow up with it in terms of you got the Hobbit when you're a child, and then later on when you're ready for the intense shit, that's that's when uh, Lord of the Rings comes through. And then when you have absolutely nothing on your hands, and you have the Simulacrian. Yeah. 
That's like when you're in your like 40s or 50s maybe, but... (laughs) Yeah, the one when you've been re- you really delve into the deep. That's when you're studying theology of of this of the Valar and things yeah. like that. Yeah, that's true. the um, the academics version of it. I mean, it's actually appealing to me. Like what you talk about it, or something. <laughs> Still an inner reader. Because when did you when did you've read Tolkien? Right. I tried three times to read Lord of the Rings. I have not read The Hobbit yet, so that's why maybe I'm thinking I'm getting started on The Hobbit. Um, but, yeah, I keep on getting about a third of the way into A Fellowship of the Ring and losing interest. And the only reason for that is because Tolkien has a penchant of describing oh, yeah. everything. Yeah. And... I can't, I just can't. And I think I got up to the Council of Elrond um, and that that was it. I just threw it against the wall. I'm just like, no, no, I just can't deal, can't deal with this person, some of this person, some of that person, some of this. It's just like I get the idea of ancestry and generational legacy, but come mm-hmm. on, something's mm-hmm. got to give, you know. No, it's a very unpopular opinion as well, especially for someone who's focused on literature. So. It's not that unpopular. Honestly, I remember. I mean, Tolkien was a nothing author. He had never yeah. been published before when he got published, and he was in his late fifties, mm. and he'd been working on this his entire life. And it wasn't really in, like he published in the fifties as well. Mm. It wasn't until really the seventies and early eighties that he really had this massive resurgence. And you reckon? I, but even yeah. the Beatles wanted to do one of his. Um, I think the Beatles wanted to get um, the rights of Lord of the Rings to make a movie out of it. So the Beatles would have been about fifties, sixties. Yeah, so, he's published yeah. in fifty-five. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't really that long after that he was this culture phenomenon mm. that he came out of nowhere and everyone was like, amazing fantasy novel. This is something that people are going to read. And the 50s had this big push. The mm. 60s, you had the people who had loved it and still loved it, but you weren't getting all these new people come through. And then the 70s mm. hit and it just it took off again and it's just mm. kind of continued since then. There's stories of other fantasy authors coming into bookshops and picking up Lord of the Rings and going, how is this still selling? This is The reason is, you know, movies and and yeah. Netflix and, well, not really Netflix. Oh, no, but, this you is know. authors in the 70s, 70s oh, and 80s going, right, this right. is crap. I read this and it was horrible. I'm going to go write in my own stuff. But <laughs> oh, he kicked God. off this fantasy genre, this other world. I mean, C.S. Lewis is the same thing, that he started off Portal Fig. Weren't they all in a club? I they want were. to say, uh, C.S. Lewis and um, yeah, the Inklings. Tolkien. Yes, that's it. And they had yeah. a bar in um, Yeah, Oxford. the Eagle and Child. Yes, and I've been there. It is pretty good, pretty good beer there, I must say, But um, especially for someone that doesn't always drink beer. But I'm like, Tolkien would have wanted me to, I reckon, have a good. He would have. You know, have a drink, have a smoke. That would, yeah. that's what he would have done. There's all these beautiful um, Lord of the Rings quotes all around there too. It's like, um, especially like I, I think it was um, a few hobbits quotes. You know, like what you know a hobbit surrounding should be like and everything, and what friendship and ale means and everything. So, just creates that vibe. Like yeah. that would be a good place to have a D and D sesh. Can you imagine how oh, awesome wonderful. would that be to get around with all your friends around a pub like that? I mean, you did it for some time around that pub. What was it? The oh, the tramway. In, in yeah, the tramway. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's kind of got a similar vibe, I guess. It does. But... It's very much this homey community little pub mm. where you have a little open fire and everyone mm. kind of knows you and. Mm wonderful food, good beer on tap. And it really mm. was this 
enjoyable, yeah, yeah, enjoyable, cozy atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's part of the pleasure with D and D. You got to get the right setting, and that yeah, was yeah. a really good setting. Well, that's interesting. As I don't think you need the setting. I think you need the people. Yeah, the true, setting true, true. Is, is useful. Like I've played at at public game stores, and it has not been as fun with um well with professional games and with personal yeah. games when there's this huge cacophony of noise going on around and it's hard to stay focused yeah but playing with my friends it's like that doesn't matter yeah true i guess i'm relaying it to um these days when we're all it's all through all through computer, Zoom. yeah and it's just it doesn't have that same it's it je ne sais quoi vibe. je ne sais quoi it doesn't exactly. have the je ne sais quoi. yeah yeah i do miss it because it's been a while it has. Like we haven't really played six months. Yeah, you counting? Jeez. Yes, I am counting. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've tried, and it's just, it's just not, you know, it just well, I, doesn't, yeah, translate. I, there's a lot of reasons for that, and I think it might tie back into what you were saying earlier about Tolkien and description. Mm. Mm. That D- yeah, it's interesting that you don't like it because D and D is so heavily built on description. Yeah, that's true. It is your imagination. The dungeon master or the game master or the storyteller has to use their words and they have to describe everything that's happening. And yes. it's up to you to fill in the blanks. They can just say it's red or a deep red or a dark deep red and you kind of fill in everything else. True. But you need to have those words in there and they need True. to have that flow. Otherwise, it's not going to, to I feel um, the well. difference is, though, is that you have a, a bit of a description, maybe a paragraph on your setting and where you are, and then it's where do you want to go? And it gives you the option to then cre- craft the story alongside the DM, you know. Um, but with Tolkien, that one paragraph will be four or five pages describing yeah. a tree, you know, and it's, something's going to give at that point. You know? You're never going to get in a wheel of time. <laughs> Am I? No. <laughs> No. Is it just as bad, is it? It's drawing heavily on it. There will be some times where it's just an entire page of descriptions of dresses and ribbons um, and furniture. Sounds a lot always... like French fairy tales. They tend to do that too. French philosophy and French fairy tales have a lot to answer for in my opinion. That's, that's me. Yeah, I'm not allowed to have a comment on that because I teach French philosophy a lot. So <laughs> yeah, if anyone listens to that, they'll be like, no, no, what are you doing? We're not yeah. going to get into Foucault on this one. Not. Oh, no. <laughs> I was just teaching Foucault the other week. Yeah, oh, okay. Foucault should be in everything. I mean, I, lo- I love Foucault's ideas. I hate reading Foucault. Yeah, I, I think philosophy is a um, acquired, no, is that, a, is that the phrase? The acquired, int- the, you know, certain The acquired taste. taste? Yeah, acquired yeah. taste, yeah. It's not exactly light reading and nor should it be sometimes, you know. No, no, you sit yeah. down and you actually really think about it. It's heavy yeah. lifting. Yeah. yeah, and that's why I kind of like to explore in D&D those kind of existentialist um, philosophical questions at that, you know. I think that's a way that you can really create a good character actually is through trying to understand, well, what what will this character say on a political level of sorts, you know, mm-hmm. not necessarily like my character's going to be Republican or Democrat, but more so like what is my character going to say about humanity what is it going to say about love and friendship and what it means to be alive you know what does your character believe and what will path will they take when given options yeah exactly isn't it a philosophical you know understanding to some degree yeah 
it kind of is you're creating a personality and you're creating mm. this character who will be faced with a number of different choices yeah and you need to be true to that character you need to know how they're going to react mm. in a given situation and it may not be you don't have to plan for everything mm. but you need to have an idea of when confronted with this how will they respond Mm. And then it becomes a kind of thought process or a thought experiment because you can live ex- outside of yourself and start theorizing your character instead. But that becomes an extension of your thoughts and your feelings about the subject matter. You know, yeah. I think that's the thing when um, we've talked about on our podcast um, about, you know, metagaming and distancing yourself from your character. I find yeah. that impossible because my values and my philosophies are embedded in all my characters to some degree. I might be different to them. Do you pick a, a set concept about yourself that you try to build on for a character or do you Yeah, just... I, sometimes. It depends. But usually it's the parts that I don't like about myself that I place in characters or that I don't perhaps explore enough because I don't have the opportunity to explore enough in, in this day and age. You know, I'll have a one, one moment I have a very dark and gritty character and the next moment I'll have a carefree halfling that just wants to see the world. And both of those things can exist within my personality, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's why I like the thought experiment of it. Cause it's like, you know, you're experimenting almost like in a laboratory in a safe environment, these ethics and values you know, that you can prescribe to different instances in different day-to-day lives, you know? No, I like that because you can go, okay, so this is something within within me. This is a, a feeling or an emotion that's in me. What if I push that a little bit further? Mm. What would I be like in that situation? Mm, How exactly. would I be reacting if I was like this all the time? Mm. And that's, and, yeah, that's definitely the case with my characters in that I'll tend to go for an emotional perhaps avenue of, you know, either grief or depression or even just saying something about humanity um, more so, um, that's that's what interests me. I find that that's the, I don't know, it, it, it's the things that are stigmatised in life that tend to be the most interesting, oh, <laughs> I yeah. find. Most you know, definitely. there's, isn't there that, um, um, perhaps it doesn't necessarily fit here, but Oscar Wilde um, had this great quote. Um, it said, he said that the books that sh- uh, they're called immoral are the ones that show the world its shame. Yeah. And I, not that, that I'm, you know, provo- promoting shame through my characters or anything like that, but I think it's an interesting experiment, once again, when you focus on values about yourself that, you don't, or that don't necessarily fit in normative society. So what better way to focus on them through role-playing? Hmm. Well, I was just thinking that a lot of D&D campaigns can kind of be divided into those two camps of the power gamer fantasy and the dark and gritty realist. And what you're saying is that they're not two camps at all. They're the same thing. Well, yeah, I'd imagine that, it's all how I mean. It's I guess it I guess it depends on the player in question, though. Yeah. Um. You. I mean, you of all people would know that there are players out there that are all about glory and power and everything like that. But my characters aren't really not not to the level of power hungry. In fact, usually there's only been one character I've had that cared about money. Um, and that was and just more that? of, I think it's 
is more of a halfling thing for some reason. I just, for some reason, I, I um, kind of have a idea that halflings are kind of obsessed with gold i don't know where that comes from maybe i'm like mary from from um i guess or pippin from Lord of the rings vibes in that sense but i just kind of find that like you know it's all about adventure and about the thrill and about the chase it's interesting you picked that because one of the things we'll probably get to on the other podcast when we talk about dragonlance is that they don't have halflings they have kenda oh what's that so it's essentially a slightly taller halfling they look a little different but um the word is K-E-N-D-E-R, and they're the bane of every adventuring group because they have no sense of personal property. <laughs> what do you mean? Like They believe that everything in their village belongs to everyone. And that's true because they'll try to pick something up that's interesting, they'll wander off with it, they'll put it down somewhere, and it's just that's how they function. And they assume that the rest of the world operates that way as well. Mm. So when they're wandering around with friends, they'll pick up, oh, that's a nice knife. I might need that. I'll just pop it in my pocket for later. So that, and belongs to someone that. else. Yeah, it's called stealing. <laughs> or kleptomaniac. Yeah, know? and they are. They're these horrible little kleptomaniacs that drive other players mad because if they're played properly, but the thing is they don't see it as the stealing. They see it as, I was taking care of it for you. I was actually trying to help oh. you all the time because you're my friend. I would never steal from you. That's just rude. Right. Wouldn't it get to a level, though, where you're carrying too much and that you're literally weighed down? Yeah, because they leave stuff behind all the time. Oh, okay. They'll just okay, wander so. off and go somewhere and they'll leave a bag behind and they'll find a new bag and they'll just keep going with that. That's interesting. It's almost like hoarding but without the commitment. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that. The thing yeah. they always keep hold of are maps. Oh, okay. Because they're okay. traveling all the time and they're always taking these maps of little notes like, this place has a really cool tree. Okay. So they don't actually know what the who's ruling the country or, you know, who the who to watch out for. Here be dragons. Like, no, there's a tree here and it looks like a dick and it's funny. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I mean, it, that seems to be a halfling vibe of um, yeah, just the Half, joke it's very stuff. halfling. Yeah, that yeah. trickster feel. Yeah, tri- yeah, but not not in a um, almost separate from bud. It's like a light-hearted, you know, a merriness, tomfoolery. In yeah. that sense, you know. Um, so did you, when you were creating your halfling, we'll talk about other characters as well, but when you're creating your halfling, is that kind of what you were drawing on to make her? Yeah, I. but again, like, I guess parts of my personality that, I mean, I'm a very non-materialistic person generally. I don't buy myself new clothes ever or anything like that. But, like, I kind of wanted to do a thought experiment of someone who was utterly and completely materialistic, who cared about money, who, um, but, but not in a, um, not necessarily in a vain way, but in a way that was so self-confident and so um, carefree, I guess. And I guess that's the kind of vibe that I was going for in that, like, I'm, I'm very much very careful with my money. I'm very, I'm, I'm one of those, you know, <laughs> not necessarily one of those, yeah, kleptomaniacs, but, um, you know, I'm just very careful and very organised and very programmed. And the character that I invented was not. She yeah. was, she lived life with no rules, hated authority, um, was not obedient, got the party in trouble numerous times because of that. And that was an was interesting, wonderful. but that was an interesting thing in itself because I, I myself felt really, really bad. Mm. Um, 
but I'm like, this is just what she'd do. And it was just a, it was an interesting kind of trust exercise with the players around me that they didn't mind and they weren't angry at me. They were just angry at my character. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I I guess it's just, you know, a bit of not necessarily wish fulfillment because I don't want to be that person. But um, but it's that thought experiment. Yeah. yeah, that what, what if, if of, what if I was like this? Yeah. How would things react? Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, even with your characters, have you done that somewhat? That what um, if? I wouldn't say a, a what if of what if I was like this. It's more of this is something I feel I can represent a little bit more extreme than is, is going on normally. Mm. That um, in some circumstances it can be a depressive instance. In some circumstances it can just be anger. Um, in some cases it can just be I want the best for everyone, so I'm going to find make a character who wants to support everything. Which one was that, Kaz? Kaz? No, God, no, not Kaz. Oh, which one was that? <laughs> uh, that's an upcoming one. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I've got, got plans for. Okay, the depressive state was that Bragi. Oh yeah, that's Bragi. Bragi's yeah, fucked up. It's not surprising that um, when I was going through some very difficult stuff, that oh, of course was I didn't. I, I didn't even that. make that connection. Holy shit! Yes, did that help? Little bit. Yeah, Bragi's still a work in progress. Yeah. Um, we'll see how Bragi goes with that. Because I, I would wonder whether it um, it can work in two ways in that the setting that you had, your necromancer, was a very bleak setting at that. And everyone um, that we're playing with was very much like, um, no, we, we need something light um, and fun again um, rather than this depressive state. I, I wonder if that translates to characters as well. Did you find that it rubbed off on you? Um. Not really, because I kind of knew that going in. Mm. I think one of the problems was that it was difficult for him to achieve his goals Mm. in that situation. Mm. And that was a little bit more of a frustration that that character in particular is not built to deal with. Mm. That um, his frustration is, if I'm frustrated at something, he's going to burn it all. That's healthy. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's so messy. He's so broken that it's just, it's not funny. Um, and I tend to lean towards those broken characters. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah, I don't know totally. what that says about me, but I like that idea of having a broken character and then fixing them. Oh, okay. Interesting. And not necessarily, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's you've got a broken character and they end up broken even more so at the end. But there's that opportunity for, they are on this journey and we will hmm. see if we can get them to a spot where they're fixed. Oh, that I find that really interesting, almost like a psychological perspective as well, you know, um, because I'm, I'm similar in that more, I, it depends on what you say you mean by broken, but my characters all have trauma yeah. in their lives. Um, but none of them are fixed. And I didn't go into it with the impression of fixing them. I was more going into the impression of how do you live with in your life mm. with trauma, you know, and trying to more focus on the adaptability of trauma or being someone of trauma in maybe fantasy setting. <laughs> no, that makes sense because you have this, this character who has a, a heavy amount of trauma 
and mm. how are they going to react in all these situations? Mm. And it's mm. not about them getting better. It's about them working through the trauma on a daily basis, that the trauma is mm. always going to be there, but there's other stuff going on. Yeah, the, you got to have the goblin horde slayed. You yeah. know, someone's got to do it. But you you've know? also got to deal with that merchant who's giving you a bad deal. <laughs> Because I feel Mary didn't have that much trauma, who the halfling we've been talking no, about. Obviously, but, um, your other character that um, that I first played, well, actually, the first character well, I played with didn't, yeah. but the second character certainly well, did. She did too. Um, my first character, I don't even think that this came about, but she had a very stereotypical story of she um, effectively... Um, saw her father kill her mother and then ran away from the situation. Um, second one's a big story. Um, third one is Mary the halfling who did have, uh, she was an orphan. I guess that was her, That's her, her trauma. trauma yeah. um, and my current one is Locke the Warforge who is kind of half human and half robot through a very abusive man she found who felt like experimenting one day on anatomy and humanity. Um, Which totally fits with the gothic, dark, gritty setting that we've got. Yeah, it's that, totally. that um, Frankenstein <laughs> at his vault. Yeah. One of my favourite novels. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I got tons of inspiration from that as well. And, and that's what her character is trying to learn, I guess, or adapt to is how how does your humanity work when your humanity is placed in question? You know, mm. um, how does your ethics work? Your moral code work? How does your relationships work? And all of that. Um, and then there's Isolde, who yes. was Isolde my, being the most famous, honestly, I would say. I, my favourite character as well. Probably, I wonder if it's exacerbated by the fact that she died as well. It's like, you know, she can't be, like, fine-tuned anymore. She yeah. was, she existed, and that's it. Um, but effectively, her husband had died from natural causes and she wasn't having anything of that, so she decided. Curiosity: that, What were the natural yeah. causes? Was it like plague or an illness? Or? I'd imagine um, plague, and uh, but not necessarily like the the black plague, but like you know that kind of you know boils and yeah, you know Conjun- conjunctivitis, conjunctivitis. Yeah, conjunctivitis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of sorts, but not you know wholly contained within one's eye, I guess, um, and. Uh, she, yeah, so she deciphered darker means to bring him back to life and it worked. It was successful, but um, he hated her from that moment on. Mm. He thought, let the dead be dead. And he... Um, was that because he, he knew what she'd done? I mean, it was a dick. Well, see, I don't... We, we um, Ben and I played that out together mm. and that was just the response that Ben gave to him. So I wasn't necessarily even expecting that he would be rejecting of it. So it was a surprise to me as well. But I guess that, I guess that's probably why it worked so well because I learned about it along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wasn't wholly in control mm-hmm. of of my character in that sense. Um, so yeah, there was a bit of give and take within the dungeon master as to the creation of my character, which I I think that's really needed sometimes yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. Is, it's a... Well, this is what I think of people... A lot of people forget, and Dungeons and & Dragons is... It's true of, but it's not always the case that mm-hmm. role-playing games are collaborative storytelling. Mm. That a lot mm. of other games are about all of you sitting down and the game master or storyteller is the one with the plot and everyone else has the characters and a lot of the time they the storyteller shouldn't have to roll dice at all. Mm. It's just them saying, okay, here's the situation and here is your choice. You decide what happens. And they're giving the description. Whereas Dungeons mm. & Dragons is a little bit more, well, I have to control the monsters too. So mm. it feels that little bit more adversarial and it doesn't feel like that collaboration as much. Yeah, I, I do think that there is still um, power in rolling a player rolling dice. You know, yes. I, I don't want to give that up um, because, yeah, I've got control issues at the best of times. No, um, yeah. And so, it's yeah, it's definitely a kind of like a dance, I guess. Yeah. You know, you, you work together and create a character that, yeah, can't be replaced and she hasn't been ever since, you know. No, well, it's like you were saying, if you try to make a... If you're drawing on yourself and drawing on parts of your personality to create these characters, creating another one exactly like the one before feels a little... Well, what's the point? Because Mm. you've already explored that idea. And if Mm. you weren't able to explore it fully, then you maybe tweak a little bit, you add something else, and that gives you the opportunity to explore more. Yeah, and for me, that exploration was very much, and I don't know if this is too, like, deep. I don't know if no, for, for your, like, D&D podcast, but um, it was very much explored. Or I was re-diagnosed with anxiety di- disorder and depression. Um, it was it was really revolved around a lot of self hate because my character wasn't necessarily um, she didn't necessarily regret what she did, but she had a lot of self hatred in that she's become this monster for her actions because in order to have conducted this spell, she had to do a lot of murdering, a lot of murdering, yeah. <laughs> a lot of innocent blood on her hands. Um, and as a result, her visage was death personified. And I, yeah, I can very much relate to that feeling of looking in the mirror and not in a means of body dysmorphia, but just not liking the mind within you, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of seeing yourself as your own worst enemy, yeah, you know, and the potential of what you could do even to oneself, you know, it became an interesting thought process. So um yeah it was and that's why i i didn't want her to be fixed mm-hmm. i i really didn't it's like um because i don't think my depression or i'm still on antidepressants i probably will be for the rest of my life that's and i don't consider it as a, as a thing that needs to be fixed you know it's more just how to live with it and how to adapt and how to manage it that becomes the process hmm. more than anything does that make sense? i don't it, know no, that I'm makes rambling. that makes a lot of sense because it's about i mean like my characters i want to see them fixed your characters you want to see them do great things while they're still in the same state they were at the start mm. Mm. exactly and therefore it's kind of like I don't. I don't want them to be neat and and perfect because who of us is, 
you know, you might not have um, any mental health conditions, but like, I think it's not really human to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, yes, perfect. <laughs> I think that everyone will always have some insecurities about themselves that are completely unfounded, you know, but still exist. And it's about kind of working alongside those insecurities while, while going through life, you know? Yeah. Wow. We're gone very. So that's what D and D. That's what D and D does for me. Yeah. Well, this is interesting because it's not just D and D that we make characters for. That this is D and D is obviously the one that we're most attached to. Mm. Um, but I played in one shots with you, and I played in vampire games with you, and other things like that. And but I, I'm wondering, do you think about the characters you create for the one shots and for vampire? Do you bring this philosophy into that as well or are they a little bit more okay i'm just going to have this for one it's just going to be a little bit more i want to try this stat i want to try this class i want to yeah. try this this interaction with another yeah. person at the table i'm not going to worry about it any more than that level yeah very much so i completely agree um when i have one shots or when we're playing vampire i've got a character that i've kind of manifested as a adaptation of Alice from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> um, but creepy. Yeah, yeah, but much creepier. That's always a good um, one. This is, um, for the listeners, this is a Malkavian, and I feel that Alice in Wonderland and yes. Malkavians go to hand in hand with their slightly askew view of We're your... all mad here, aren't yeah. we? You know? Um, but with her, it's no, it's not like I'd almost be offended at the the portrayal of mental illness in which she she exposes because it's incredibly stereotypical. Um, but uh, it's wholly and completely based on usually my one shots or, or in vampire just based on the literature that I love. You know, I was teaching Alice Adventures in Wonderland at the time when I was creating her um, her character and I just, like, I got really bogged down in some of the theories about um, the text and how everyone has their own say about whether it's all a dream, is it a Freudian analysis within the mix here? And just because there's so many interpretations of that text, I'm like, well, I'm going to make it a different interpretation by putting it as a D&D character. She'll be a I vampire. Mean, I mean, which has been yeah, but it's been done before oh, yes. as well. Like um, um, the video game Alice Madness Returns uh, focuses on an incredibly dark portrait of Alice in which she theorises Wonderland as her means of escape. And there is other ones as well in which, like, I'm pretty sure um, the once, is it called Once? There was a TV show, TV series, Once Upon yeah, a Time. Yeah, Once Upon a Time. And they, did, they had... Um, a Alice Adventures in Wonderland spinoff where she was in a mental health hospital. So um, it's, ugh, I don't know. Even in the Tim Burton one, there's um, in the second movie, they explore that a little bit. And it's just, um, look, it is stereotypical. It is kind of problematic to think that, okay, this has to be something insane because it's so nonsensical. Um, but it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. It's so much fun. There's a lot of potential for that um, That Alice in Wonderland of it's some form of mental issue, whether it's mental illness, mm. whether it's just her imagination run riot or whether it's her dealing with concepts out of her control to tie in with Wizard of Oz in a similar way 
given that the yeah. classic Return to Oz pretty much has that, that all of the families say, yes. no, no, you're just oh. imagining, you're, you're crazy. I was raised on that film and I don't know how I was exposed to that film at such an early age. Because it's Oz. Oz is for kids. Oh, but, oh, (laughs) I actually show, I teach children's literature at Deakin and um, I always show the trailer or the opening part Mm. where she's in, she's getting electric shock therapy and she's um, all banded down and that's how she transports back to Oz and it's so bad and it's just like I I was five years old loving this eating Mm. it up but Um, the wheelies the wheelies are the scary yeah all the wheelers oh tell you but there's um certain parts that I've been inspired from that movie too like where I used to think how cool is that queen who can go into a closet oh, wow. and pick out the head she feels like for that day? Like, how how rad would that be? That's pretty awesome. Just choosing it's your so face. Good. It's putting on your face. It's like there's so yeah. many levels to it. Yeah, like a hat, like clothing, yeah. you know. It's interesting because you're drawing on Alice in Wonderland for um, for the Malkavy and you're drawing on, on Frankenstein for your Warforged. Yes. I mean, literature's... Yes. Isolde was um, Jean Grey. Oh. Um, a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, from X-Men. Yeah. Um, uh, just in terms of, especially her image and everything like that, but just feelings of being out of control. And, Does that make her um... husband Cyclops? <laughs> well, he was a paladin. Because if so, I'm really glad we ended up killing him. Yeah, he was he was a paladin. So so maybe like Cyclops totally would have been a paladin oh, Cyclops if you totally to transpose paladin. him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So hey, it, it works to some regard, but but yeah, yeah. yeah I always focus and Mary the halfling was kind of an amalgamation of um, almost like Merida from Brave mm-hmm. meets a halfling in Lord of the Rings, like kind of you know. Yeah. So you're always kind of drawing Bucky, on. Is Bucky the word? Yeah, you're kind of drawing on literature for for each of those. Yeah. Are there any? Yeah, I think I stole that from you. In oh. fact, you're just like think of your favorite character, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's easy easy enough to do. I mean, most of mine. Um, I'm trying to think of an example I've actually done because I don't actually do it that often. Oh, no, don't you? I, I do have a couple. It's like I want to have um, a rogue who's also a monk, and yeah, they're yeah, a burglar, yeah. and they climb up walls, and they you know rob from people and they just dive and they do parkour and they're spider-man yeah and yeah, so it's yeah how yeah. do i build exactly. this out of my own my own in- enjoyment and you can only do that to some degree as well because i mean even jean gray you couldn't do jean gray probably. no unless she's like at t- level 20 yeah. when you first do it you know um so you gotta kind of pair it back sometimes but you can always have that personality and that's exactly. that's kind of the feel for it. So just wondering who exactly. would next be on the horizon? What is there any characters oh. that you've got been reading recently, just characters from literature or ones that you've really enjoyed for a while that you go, Hey, what if they had magic powers? Oh, that's hard. I read I read a really good book recently, um, called Melmoth. Mm-hmm. And the author's name escapes me and I'm so sorry. Um in which is I it's based on this idea of uh when Jesus rose um there was all these women who um saw him do so and one woman said no I didn't say anything 
And because of that, she has been cursed to spend the rest of eternity witnessing the worst of humankind around her um, and um, offering these. And it's, oh, she'll be like the, the worst of humankind, interestingly, in the text, isn't people like uh, head honchos like Stalin or Hitler or anything like that. It's the, the paper pushers yeah. that kind of um, sanction these processes to happen without thinking. The person who you know, stamps the on, the, on the military order form, you have to take that hill. Oh, there's a village in the way, just wipe it out. Yeah, exactly, rather than the actual person who pulls the trigger. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily as a character for myself, but I think that would be a really cool villain. Mm for a D&D setting. Like I, I often think about rather than like my next character, I think about um, uh, potential games that I could craft myself. Mm-hmm. And and that would be one of them paired with figures like Medusa, but m- marrying her to the context in which she deserves, um, which is that of effectively a victim, <laughs> which she was. Um, yeah, so I think of more like the villains and the and the settings and stuff like that. But you're um, a DM at heart, admit yeah, it. I may be, but the only other character that really comes to mind that I adore is Poison Ivy from um, you know everything. <gasps> <The> Poison Ivy <laughs> Druid. Yeah, Poison Ivy Druid would be really interesting. Although I think it would get a bit old. Like the idea of yeah, saving nature, saving nature, and but saving nature through you know, a lot if, of violence. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I could tweak it, but that would. I mean, I've been I've been obsessed with her for a while. Oh. So she's she and Harley Quinn are like my favourites. Have um, you started watching the Harley people. Quinn? I have. I actually, <laughs> yeah, I have. Um, it's really good. It's um, it's. I like how it pairs the relationship between two women as one that isn't competitive, and that is. I don't know. You don't see that a lot, do you? It's taken it's taken all these years oh, yeah. to to have a representation that isn't just like Ivy destroying humankind or Harley Quinn wholly and completely obsessed with the Joker. Though they could still work on that. Well, you you're only a few episodes in, so that's kind of Yeah. I yeah, particularly like true. that version of Ivy because she's kind of a homebody introvert. And she just prefers plans. And it's like, yeah, but I don't want to go out and do that. I want to stay home and read. I want to have a mug of coffee. I just, uh, fine, I'll go out and destroy the world. Fine, you've done it now. And I like how um, she has all these, like, she reads, like, how to, like, if you notice, like, when she reads, she's, like, how to grow, you know, tulips or something like that. It's like, she's actually, you forget that she, I'm pretty sure she was a doctor. She was. Um, Same with Harley Quinn. And you forget that with a lot of adaptations. Um, That's the only, actually, that's my only irk about, some of the adaptations of Harley Quinn is that they seem to forget that she was, she has a PhD, you know? And I, I think that with the, um, with the animated series, they tend to bring that up sometimes, but a little bit more would be really good. Oh, there's, there's a bit. I'm hoping. They mentioned it quite a bit in, in the Birds of Prey film, which is. Yes. Yes, they did. Yes. And I was really upset that they didn't put Poison Ivy in that. Because they were yeah. going to do Poison Ivy, they were doing going to do um, uh, Gotham City Sirens, yes. and I think after Uma Thurman's questionable 
um, performance. Look, it's been look, like Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher has accepted blame for all of Batman and Robin. I actually liked that movie. I, I yes, it's corny. Yes, it's ridiculous. But like, but so hey. was. I'm I'm going back at the moment and I'm reading like '80s Avengers. Okay. Because I'm I'm doing a She-Hulk. Um, yes, yes. Retrospective. I'm reading the whole thing, and I'm reading like the Avengers uh, from like 1980 before Secret Wars, and it is goofy. It is yeah. so goofy. Well, I feel like people forget that about comics. I mean, like, hey, don't you remember Batman's bark repellent sh- shark yeah. spray? Well, <laughs> I love how the, they brought that into the anime. It's series. only a year or so before before the um, before Watchmen and before Dark Knight Returns and before yeah. Batman Year One, and the comics became this incredibly serious, dark thing. And it's like I'm realizing now that this is why those books are seminal and so amazing. Because on the other side, like right next to them on the rack is Avengers 230, where it's, they're going to the clubhouse and they're having a meeting. And that's the entire, and then it's the drama about the fact that, well, Wasp is having a divorce. Hmm. Oh my God. Who are we going to replace Hawkeye with this week? And Uh, it's just, it's so goofy. I I love the fact I, I, some comics in particular tend to discuss or be completely related to contemporary events. And it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially after Corona and how they're yeah. going to deal with that in comic book form as well as maybe the plague or the great evil that they can't defeat, you know. But Oh, there's a, a lot I'm of things. I mean, most of them are already wearing masks, so it's fine. <laughs> I mean, that's the main thing, you know. That's the only thing that, you know, we we got to tell more people to do, and that's fine. Yeah, I mean, if we could all wear Spider-Man masks, we would. I think a lot of, I think, I think I've seen a, few, a bit of a trend in, like, Etsy. If you look up masks, you'll find, like, these grotesque, monstrous kind of masks that people can wear, and, like, this is every goth stream right yeah. now, you know. Everyone gets to have the the face that they want. You can have exactly just like these these fangs coming at you. There's a yeah. lot of opportunity. I'm surprised people haven't latched onto masks beforehand, particularly in Australia. <laughs> yeah, but we seem true. to be getting there now, which is yeah. a plus. Yay! Okay, so earlier you were talking about Medusa, and the obviously she's the victim, which is yes. true. Yeah. Um, and we have mentioned on the other podcast that we've got you've gone to can, our can dungeon like interrupt you like very very quickly just to say something before i forget there was a meme on facebook that had no um medusa wasn't um the victim she was cursed uh, so that no men could violate her ever again because of her snake hair and everything like that like that's not true that's just simply not true anyway anyway could you i just have to get that out of my head um continue sorry that's wow that's a (laughs) hot take trying to make it work after after the fact you know why why can't they just accept that the gods are problematic yeah i mean the greek gods are incredibly problematic (laughs) especially in the common age you you would think that i don't know isn't this obvious like isn't this like yes like we're you know effectively disarming and invalidating a rape victim here but i digress i digress i wonder honestly no i'll just we'll just touch on this for a second because i always wonder whether the people who came up with these myths or heard these myths in classical times either saw them as an allegory of, yeah, that's kind of fucked up, or a little bit of, well, yeah, but they're gods. They're I think a bit anyway. of both. 
I think of it a bit of both, especially when you have some gods literally representing certain virtues, then it yeah. becomes a bit kind and of vices. Hmm. and vices. Exactly. So um, from my very limited knowledge of, of, you know, people like Virgil and Ovid and, and those kind of cool guys, they they didn't treat women very well, but I think that they are from an age in which exemplified that as well. You know, yeah. um, uh, it was I a actually, different time. It was a different epoch. Exactly. I actually have a, um, a perspective on a student who might be focusing on um, notions of queerness in Greek mythology, especially given that, um, you know, way back when it was treated in a, in a different consensus as it was later on. Anyway, yeah. I'm, I digress again. Even getting onto the Romans, it's a different it's a Yeah, different yeah, exactly. But um, no, they... Well, I'm so sorry. What was your question? <laughs> I was going to get into into ideas about Medusa and that um, we have asked, I believe it was on a different um, episode of our other podcast, about yeah. what monsters you'd really like to see or face mm. um, in the regular game. Are there any monsters you particularly lean towards? Mm. Um, or perhaps if you're able to play one of these monstrous races... What monstrous race would you pick? Oh, and this isn't necessarily D and I mean, this is something that you could look at through. Hey, there's a, a role playing game where we all get to play werewolves, like vampires. It's like you're all vampires. Is there a classical monster that you'd love? Hey, I want to be this monster. And can you do that though? Yeah, like... you could figure. You could easily figure something out. This is role playing. We can do whatever we want. Can we though? Can we? We can't Within surely all be Medusa and we freeze could... people with stone, you know. Um, I can make it work. Oh, that's I reckon we could find something that make it could work. Make it work. Yeah, but see, it would be again. You'd you'd have to limit her power, right? It's not just anyone who happens to gaze upon her turns into stone. It'd be yeah, like... you could change it to some, or you could put something in place where she's got sunglasses. She can take <laughs> the sunglasses off, and they freeze for an hour. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah. it's baby Medusa at high school. <laughs> Look, there's a lot of, uh, because my specialty is in fairy tales, there's a lot of fairy tales that I see with curious villains in them, like the Snow Queen in Hans Christian Andersen's tale. That's, she's pretty cool. Yes, the Snow Queen is an interestingly easily transferable tale with when you have these demons wanting to show this mirror to God that shows everything that's horrible about that person. Um, on their way to God, uh, they don't succeed and the, this mirror in question smashes into a thousand tiny bits and ends up in people's eyes and ears and everything. And that could create in and of itself all these really cool um, monsters yeah. and potentially heroines or heroes or whatever you want to call them. Um, so, but I think like, the, I mean... Uh, I shouldn't say this because it's like, take a shot. I'm talking about the Witcher. <laughs> but um, the most <laughs> effective monsters to me are the human ones. You know, but yeah. Ben and I are watching um, the Witcher series again. And I just think, keep thinking like, that would be an amazing idea. That would be an amazing idea. We did a Dyson DMs um, podcast not too long ago talking about... Um, what do you call them? Um, copycats, kind of doppelgangers. Thing. Doppelgangers. That would. Uh, and as soon as we did that episode, I'm like, 
we need to do that. Like we need yeah. to have, like, how cool would that be? Just giving people this option. It's like, hey, your character's right in front of you. What do you do? And you're like, oh, that's that's exciting to me. I mm. love that. So anything that comments on human conditions and stuff like that um, in a relatable and not too distanced way. To be. really the monsters that would hold up a mirror to society. Yeah. I mean, although, I mean, the other things that we haven't really faced, like fairies, but yeah. bad ones. Fairies aren't good in literature. They're really shitty people. Mm. Like, So you have the mischievous sprites, but then you have Mab, Queen of Erin Darkness. Yeah. So not a nice person. Yes. That would have been really cool. Not even just in the regular, well, I don't see the world the way you see it. It's like, no, I'm I'm bad. I will mess you up because I don't like you. Yeah. And rule the world because I want to. Yes, they're very selfish. They're very inward, you know. Um, oh, that would be really cool because you have this idea of Queen Mab as like, you know, flowers everywhere and, you know, this kind of beauty and then kind of turn that on its head a little bit would be really fucking interesting. So that yeah. would be cool. There's some rules for Queen Mab. You do have a lot of ideas. I would love it if you had a one-shot adventure that you ran for us all. And we got to explore some of these. That would be awesome. I Look, I've been thinking about it more and more, especially in lockdown. And it it could happen. But then, you know what? I just don't know. But I just don't know any of the the things that you have to do. Like like how you'd have to create. Like, I I know the narrative, but I don't know. No, it's not. It's it is, so trust not. Me. It's so not. That's such a lie. It's Listeners, so not. write in. The email address is tellmeaboutyourdnd <laughs> at gmail.com. Write in and I'll pass it along to Tori that all you need is the narrative and then you just kind of plug bits in. Sorry, dear listener. That's that's bullshit in my eyes because, like, how do you, like, you know, the stat blocks and the hit points and that's not necessarily narrative. Like, I wouldn't know that's how to. That's true. I wouldn't That's know true. how to do any of that. So, and I wouldn't know what's too much for a person to take or too little. And, uh, but look, I can write you a story. And how about you, you translate it into a D and D setting? I can do that. You can do that. We'll yeah. compromise. Yeah. And That'll once we've good. run it, I'll get you back on and we'll talk about how it went. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Cause then it'll be, tell me about your D and D adventure. Oh, okay. I like that. I like that. It's a date. Yep. We'll lock it in. Anyway, while I'll let you go, is there anything you want to plug apart from our other podcast? Um, yeah, you can listen to Dyson DMs. That yep. would be cool. Yeah. Cool. That's yeah, a good that... podcast. I, 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 I'm I, there. Yeah. Cheers. Every week. Uh, <laughs> Whether you like me or not, you know. Yeah. Um, no, no, that's that's my main go-to. And, and, and yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. That's right. It's been really fun. Yeah. That's right. One last thing I do is ask my guests to say farewell to our listeners as one of their characters and oh, you may choose which one. In the voice, if you'd like. Um, up to you if you don't. All right. Darling, it's been such a pleasure. Bye-bye. Toodaloo. So that's this week's episode. Tune in again next week when I talk to somebody else about their D&D character. And... I hope you enjoyed listening today. I hope you've enjoyed listening to other episodes as well. It's really fun making these. Um, I really like to get inside of the people's heads um, and find out what makes their, what appeals to them about this game that we really love. Uh, But if you're interested, 
please like and subscribe to the podcast. We're available on Spotify and SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Um, Ratings and reviews are always helpful. Followers are even better. If you share us with your friends, that would be wonderful. If you're interested in um, following me on different socials, we have Insta, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, Insta and Instagram and Facebook are both at Tell Me About Your DND, and Twitter is Tell Me Your DND. You can also send us emails if you want to give us feedback. Uh, the email address is tellmeaboutyourdnd at gmail, which is um, probably the best way to get in touch, honestly. Twitter doesn't always tell me when I get a notification, so I'm a bit delayed on most of those. And Twitter is also not good for a lot of people's mental health, so um, email's probably the best way to get in touch. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. I hope you had a wonderful time. Stay safe, and may all your hits be crits. <laughs> <laughs>